So Galatians 5, we uh, had been, before our involuntary hiatus, uh, studying the works of the flesh after having gone through the, the main part of the book, which was salvation by grace, not salvation through works of the law. And so we, uh, we're in verse 16, which is the whole paragraph of which we'll, we have been looking, and uh, we're looking, we'll start there, the reading tonight, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envious, uh, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all things like this. of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we have the law, uh, and we have the faith, we have the flesh, and we have the spirit uh, in these passages. And what we'll note is, we would think that, well, we need the law uh, to keep us from the deeds of the flesh. But he said, we're not under the law. So we're keeping from these deeds of the flesh, even though we're not under law. Again, to the Jewish mind, how could you not have all of these things if you freed people from the restraints of the law? Well, we are instead constrained inwardly with the law written on the hearts, which is the things of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're still not doing all of these horrible things. We're still not doing all these things uh, of, uh, of the flesh because the Spirit has taught against them. So it's not that the law uh, forbid them, which certainly it did, but that now the Spirit has taught us that these things are contrary to the life of faith and the work that is in Jesus Christ. So if we go on and uh, uh, look at all of these things together, and hopefully you'll be able to read that, uh, we see that there are the flesh and the works of the flesh that we're to deny. So we had immorality, we had impurity, we had sensuality. So those things, sexual nature, sexual excess, uh, sexual lack of restraint, uh, not in the way that Christ taught us. And then we have the sins of uh, false religion, idolatry, and sorcery. And that's where we got before our, our break. And now, tonight, the sins of bad temper, enmities, strife, jealousies, and outburst of anger. In the future, bad relationships, which often go with an uh, are caused and strained with the bad temper, 
but uh, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. And then there are two more uh, listed, plus uh, uh, catch all the like. Uh, things that are of substance abuse, uh, drunkenness, and carousing. The misuse of, of these things. We particularly think first of alcohol. But the misuse of those things and other things that would disqualify us from the kingdom. And so uh, you can see that'll be the outline. Basically, we'll follow uh, for the lessons to come. Tonight, the bad temper. Next week, the bad relationships. And the week after, substance abuse. But then after all of that, uh, we get to the things we've replaced that with. The fruit of the Spirit. What does the Spirit living in us produce? What does walking by the Spirit look like? Well, there's inward attitudes there. Love, joy, and peace. There'll be outward displays, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then there's other goods to follow as well, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so that'll be the outline uh, for the good things uh, of which we replace uh, the bad things. Uh, because we find this becomes a long exercise. Uh, Eugene Peterson had the great phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's a long process of replacing all of this with all of that. And so replacing all these things of the works of the flesh as we live our life will be a long time project. It's like rebuilding a car or a ship uh, while it's on the highway or while it's sailing the seas. It's kind of the same problem they've got right now. And it's so far been two months, I think, at this point in counting. That major bridge at Memphis, the I-40 bridge from West Memphis, Arkansas to Memphis, Tennessee. They found that one of the uh, support beams was totally broken. It shouldn't have ever got to that. The inspection should have caught it, but for whatever cause, they didn't, I'm sure, subject to lawsuits. But they found that one of the, one of the structural beams, one of the ones that helped relieve the pressure from the central beams, was broken in two. And they immediately shut down traffic, said this thing is in danger of falling into the river. And they have since tried to figure out how to replace this structural beam and get it back up to speed and, and get it back up to strength uh, so they can reopen the bridge. And it's been two months so far, and people are starting to wonder, well, when's it ever going to get done? And last week came a report. They found 40 more places where they found critical need to make uh, repair and strengthening before they could open the bridge. So all the locals just, you know, kind of slapped their head and go, oh man, the highway department's never going to get this done. But imagine if they tried to do that uh, work and they couldn't shut the bridge down. Uh, how much harder would it be uh, to do all that? But how much more necessary even would it be? Well, replacing this set of things in our life, a life learned in the world, a life learned in selfishness, a life learned just by the natural course of things, to replace that in life with this instead, without being able to go offline for life, you know, for uh, uh, six weeks or a year or whatever. We just can't stop life. We still have our obligations. We still have obligations in Jesus Christ that he gives us from day one as a disciple of his. And we start to follow those even while we still beset uh, with those other things, which we'd learned before we came to it. And so we have to be remade in Christ uh, as we go. It's a project that will just about forever be uh, in motion 
uh, in, in progress if we are doing as we ought. In the book of James, James talked about people who were trying to make this transition but having problems with it. He says, No one can tame the tongue. It's full of evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. He said they ought not be that way, but what are they? Well, they're that away for a lot of folks. And so he asked, does a fountain send out both fresh and bitter water from the same opening? Does a fig tree produce olives and also uh, a vine produce, uh, uh, does a fig tree produce olives or a vine tree produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. But they were producing two things at once and it ought not be that way. So uh, here tonight, let's talk about this part that needs to be replaced with the good. This part in the middle of the list, the part about bad temper, enmity, strife, Jealousy and outburst of anger. That'll be Galatians 5, and it's all there in verse uh, 20. And so here we have now the deeds of the flesh. In the middle of the list, we have my translation, New American Standard says, enmity. The King James says, hatred. Well, the, the shortest of definitions, uh, the shortest work to the dictionary says, it's a lack of love, and instead it's a hostility. It's the opposite of love. So what happens is, is we have this uh, lack of love. What is, you know, what's our great commandment? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's like unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who do we not love as ourself? Pretty much everybody not ourself, eventually. And uh, if we uh, don't work on that in Christ to do the right way. So uh, this hatred, this lack of love, it really can't be hidden. Uh, the secrets of the hearts are almost always revealed. The things that we feel, these things come out. It says in the Proverbs about the man who does try to hide it and cover it up. It says, he who hates, Proverbs 26, 24, he who hates disguises it with his lips. So most folks will try to hide their hatred because they know it's wrong. You know, that's the thing about hypocrisy. Uh, people cover up wrong because they know it's wrong. It's an admission of it's wrong but it's also an omission. They still want to do it. So he who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself up with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And so people will know what you really are. People will know what you really do. And so hatred is the thing just exactly contrary from first to last and all through the scripture to the life in Jesus Christ, the life that God calls us to, the instructions that we've been given. Our God is love. We're to reflect that. The enemy, our enemy, the one who wants to destroy us is hatred and dissembling and lying, hypocrisy. That can't be us. So 1 John 2. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness 
and does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eye. So we talked about recently in our Luke class, uh, those who, uh, who their eye was darkened. And uh, because of that, the whole body was dark because the, uh, the receptacle of the light was perverted. Well, here are people perverse in heart. Here are people who are blinded. And in this case, it's a blindness of their own making. It's a blinded by uh, hatred. Uh, like when the apostles, or excuse me, when Jesus, when Jesus was delivered up uh, to, by uh, the Jews to Pilate, even Pilate saw that they did it out of envy. They, they were blinded to who Jesus was because they hated Jesus so much. And so this blindness of hatred, this is a work of the flesh. Uh, John would go further on to say, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so eternal life is, is our hope. Uh, we're to be recipients of life. We're to be lovers of life. Uh, we're to be, uh, through the gospel and sharing the things of Jesus, in, in a sense, partners in life and giving life. But think about somebody who hates so much they take life. Well, Jesus said that's, that's what everybody who hates their brother is. It's like that fellow who uh, has lust uh, in his heart. And so he's committed adultery in his heart already. And so it is with the fellow who has hate in his heart. It's like uh, he uh, has murdered in his heart already. And so maybe he just hasn't done it because lack of opportunity or maybe some other external restraints is, is there uh, that keeps him from it. Hopefully at least some still uh, shreds of conscience keep it from him. But he has hatred and that is equivalent. It's equivalent to murder. So instead, the opposite love, love. Matthew 5, you've heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax gatherers do the same? If you greet your brothers, what more do you do than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So there's the call. Be like God. Be of love. And of course, when we get to the works of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, it'll start with love. And so here's the opposite. It is uh, this terrible sin of enmity, or hatred. Now then, following a very similar word. Uh, my translation gives the word strife. The King James gives the word variance. Uh, the definition of that uh, Greek word eris uh, is fighting, contentions, wrangling, uh, rivalries, uh, quarreling. So I must have been an old dictionary because that's a whole bunch of old words. But th this is, again, the opposite of peacefulness. Fighting, contending, wrangling, quarreling, rivalries. The Proverbs say, the fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for blows. Uh, I grew up in Texas. We used to say them's fighting words. Yeah, some people say things that makes you want to hit them. And, you know, we, we oftentimes feel pretty sympathetic for the people that give them the smack, even if we tell them, yeah, you ought not to hit him. But yeah, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I know. Well, you're just participating with him in that case. 
in some evil, even if he's the first agent, even if he's the provocateur. But yeah, yeah, he's very wrong in that. Those are terrible things that he said. The fool's lips bring strife. They always do. Proverb 28, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts the Lord will prosper. Notice the contrast between the arrogant man and the man who trusts in God. But the fool and the arrogant man, which are often the same, they get the same result. Proverb 29, an angry man (laughs) stirs up strife. So, so far we've had the strife from the angry man, the arrogant man, and the foolish man. And sometimes those are all three the same fella. And so, you know, like the old, well, new take on an old joke, a fool, an arrogant man, and an angry man walk into a bar together. Yeah, it's just one dude, you know, it wasn't three dudes, it's just one. So sometimes people wrap all those up together. But an angry man stirs up strife. And a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. So, you know, we, we know in the New Testament, the great blessing, that love covers a multitude of sins. Love causes sin not to take place. Love causes the consequences of sin uh, to be mitigated uh, because uh, there isn't the follow-up of, you know, pouring salt on the wound. Uh, When someone has love, even when they do sin, uh, people are more sympathetic to them and people don't attribute uh, bad will. They're more likely to view it as a mistake. Uh, When uh, sin has has occurred, uh, when there's love, there'll be repentance There'll be regret. Uh, there might be. There'll be restitution. Uh, there'll be offers of of uh, sympathy. Uh, but with the angry man, he abounds in transgression. So if love covers a multitude of sins, strife, arrogance, hot-tempered man, he causes a multitude of sin, and sometimes. Well, that was in the Proverbs with the the fool, the arrogant, the angry, and the hot-tempered. In the New Testament, we find it also sometimes, even in the churches. We find in 1 Corinthians 1.11, I've been formed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there's quarrels among you. Yeah, there's quarrels among you. And Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that's, that's a true report. I've heard on good report that there's quarrels among the brethren. Well, why? Well, you look at the brethren there, there was certainly immaturity. Uh, but these things of the Proverbs, foolishness, arrogance, anger, and hot temper. Uh, you read the book of 1 Corinthians, can you picture those things being present in the church there? Easily and obviously. And so uh, Paul would say, as he tries to bring them to maturity, Paul would say this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but to as men of flesh. See, that's what we're against here, the works of the flesh. Here are disciples who are more fleshly than spiritual in much of what they do at this point in their spiritual growth. Now, hopefully taking any of that advice in 1 Corinthians to heart, uh, that would move them right along, and that would help them be more spiritual and more mature. But again, it's a process. And so here are these brethren who are fleshly. I speak to babes in Christ. I give you milk. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you weren't yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, 
Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? You're fleshly. How do we know that? Because you have jealousy and strife. Well, what's in our works here? Works of the flesh. Jealousy and strife. And so we need to work on that. And sometimes when we say we, we mean we brethren. We need to work on that. And then we come to an interesting one. We come to jealousy. Uh, King James will give us this as emulations. I'm not sure that's all that helpful. It's not often uh, that in the current editions of the King James, which are from 1769, uh, 1611 is when it came out. King James was constantly updated, dropping the more and most antiquated words from it in each edition as it went by every 15 or 20 years or so till we get to the 1769 one, which kind of finalizes it. But I have to say, in this case, here's a word I think probably outdated enough that it really has lost nearly all meaning. Uh, emulations. If I said, stop emulating, uh, would you know what to do or not to do? Uh, look, there's emulation over there. Somebody goes, where? What? I don't see nothing. And maybe it's a guy uh, getting mad at his girlfriend or like. No, emulation doesn't tell us much. Uh, but we have the word jealousy here. And interestingly enough, uh, this is one of those case, occasions where we'll use the Greek word because we already know it. It's the Greek word zelos. Zelos. Well, we know the word zelos from our English word zeal. So in the Greek, they had one word that covered the concept of jealousy and of zeal. We in English have divided those into two very similar sounding words, but enough difference that we can hear it. And so it, it kind, of, kind of depends on what you're zealous for. It, 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 it's it's uh, how you've uh, directed this emotion uh, in a negative way or a positive way. Are you zealous or are you jealous? And so, you know, we might be quite zealous for our sports team or partisans in a political cause or for uh, some some other uh, thing. And if that's a positive thing, we'll, we'll talk about zeal. But a negative thing, which we think about jealousy, uh, you know, often first in romance, we talk about uh, uh, we talk about it as jealousy. Uh, we call it the green-eyed monster in the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, it talks about uh, jealousy uh, being like the fires of hell, that kind of uh, hot, burning, destructive thing. And so here is jealousy. Uh, it's a, a desire for what others have. So obviously we see that in the area of romance when there's unrequited love and the object of the affection has love for someone else. There can be a great deal of jealousy, but not just in romance, but uh, uh, jealousy for position, uh, jealousy for possession, uh, jealousy for uh, influence, uh, whatever it is of which we find uh, cause for resentment. Uh, probably no better Bible example of this, and we won't go read the story. It's chapters long. Uh, but the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, uh, the object of his father's love, to the obvious, it seemed, uh, notice of them, the 10 older brothers who noticed that Jacob was the favorite. Jacob got the coat of many colors, which eventually the father gets back, dripped in animal blood, along with the story of the animals, some, some savage animal 
ripped your son to shreds, and left only this blood-colored cloak, this blood-colored coat. Is this it? Knowing, obviously, of course, that it was. So he had no body to identify, but he had the blood-strewn and blood-covered coat to identify and uh, think that his son was dead. So we had such jealousy in the family that brothers so jealous of another for their father's affection that they sell the brother to slavery. And so um, no good thing comes from uh, jealousy. In Acts 5, we're told that it's jealousy among the Jews that caused them to have the apostles arrested on false charges. In Acts 13, it's jealousy of the Jews that the uh, Gentiles receiving the gospel that leads them uh, to blaspheme. In Acts 17, a similar type of jealousy causes the Jews in Thessalonica uh, to riot uh, against Paul. And so uh, we think about uh, the terrible jealousies that come. And really, it's, uh, it's resentment and lack of love that we don't want to see the other guy prosper. We don't want him to have that. We want that to be ours. And so jealousy is often a very selfish, selfish emotion. The opposite of love, the opposite of wisdom, a a destroying impulse over and over, not a building impulse. Well, speaking of destructive, not building impulses, we move on now to the fourth and final work of the flesh in this section. The outburst of anger. The King James will give us the old word, wrath. Now, there's a place for judicial wrath. We're to leave room for the wrath of God. Uh, But God knows when and how and to what degree uh, to give wrath. Now, you don't want to be there on the day of wrath. The day of wrath is not a constructive day. It's a destructive day. It's a a punishment day. But now imagine the little mini outburst of anger, the many, the, the many, well, both many as in small and many as in several, but the many, many uh, outbursts of men and, and their wrath where they lose their temper. They have a moment of rage. Uh, they have a, a violent showing of emotion. And so sometimes we see the marks of that for, for a long time. Uh, we might see a hole in the wall. Why is that hole there? Well, somebody got mad. There's a dent in a car. Why is that dent there? So there's a hole in something, or or something has been banged up and something has been damaged because somebody didn't control their temper. Three or four times in my life, uh, high school and college most of the time, but I saw this once as an adult, somebody who was a friend or acquaintance or classmate of mine uh, would show up with a cast on their hand. It's like, well, what do you do? Well, what happened? Have some kind of accident? What, what? No, no, I don't want to talk about it. Sometimes they'd, they'd talk about it, sometimes they wouldn't. But uh, I've known people that end up with a cast on their hand because uh, they hit a wall. One of them hit a concrete block wall. That didn't work out so well. One of them hit a metal pipe. My favorite story of that is the uh, the fellow I knew, he, he, he delivered a nice right hand, uh, overhand right to uh, a horse right between the horse's eyes. I don't know that it made much difference to the horse. It made quite a difference to the guy's medical bills who did it. But uh, not controlling your temper. 
And so sometimes we see the damage. Again, this is not a constructive impulse. It's destructive. And so we have this, Job 36, the godless in heart lay up anger. They just store it. They just stack it in the barn. They just stack it up like wood, and then they can go get someone they need it. They got all kinds of reasons to be mad at everybody and everything. Some of them just walk around wanting to add to the anger pile. In the New Testament, Paul, Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But the angry man, no, I'm storing that up. I may need that. I like me and my anger. We're we're good friends. We've been together a long time. Ecclesiastes, do not be eager in your heart to be angry. Some people like it. Some people like being angry. It's their favorite emotion. It says, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. From Proverbs, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament will quote a similar proverb that evil companions corrupt good morals. Well, in this case, the bad, uh, the bad temper, uh, the bad quality uh, is shared. It's learned. It rubs off on you. So in the New Testament, Ephesians, we mentioned Ephesians 4.26 a while ago. How about now Ephesians 4.31? Let all, 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 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then the next section, like we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, be kind instead to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Fathers, I'll go on just a little bit later. Ephesians 6, don't provoke your children to anger. And so, you know, we need to recognize when it comes to anger, the it's not just the bad reaction of the person involved. That's bad. It's bad. But there might well be a provocation from someone of them to anger, and that's bad too. So fathers don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Or this general instruction. Uh, actually, we, it's a good general instruction. It's actually an instruction about how to listen to and be disciplined by and accept the Word of God. But this, James 1, 19 and 20, it works for general advice, but especially works for dealing with the Word of God advice. This you know, my beloved brethren. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In that passage, the thing we're especially supposed to hear quickly is God's word. And when we hear it, and it admonishes us, when it rebukes us, when it cuts us, we're not to get angry at it, but we're to accept it. Because if we're angry at what God said, the chances of it having its right effect in our life are pretty small, especially right then. Maybe it'll see to be planted, it'll work later. But it also works for general life advice. Listen to others, not so much yourself. Uh, don't be, don't act in anger toward other people. Act with patience and kindness as you ought uh, if you want to act in the righteousness of God. So in these four things then, in the things of enmity and strife, jealousy and anger, watch out over your heart. Don't let these things take root. 
Don't let these things live there. Don't let them be defining characteristics of your life. Instead, as we go through, take them out. Work on pruning them. Work on minimizing them. Work on replacing uh, them. As we are told from Luke 9, Luke, Luke 9, 23, anyone who wishes to come after me, Jesus said to all, he said, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, as the Proverbs tell us, one final verse, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.